dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in god's country crops far as i can see the headlights on both ends of my day this country Well, hey, welcome folks to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Jennifer M. Latsky, and I'm joined by my colleague, Kayleen Scott. Hey, Kayleen. Hey, Jenny. Well, hey, you had a one heck of a weekend for the family. I hear that there's some extra hardware around the Spence Hacienda. <laughs> yeah, the Kansas Pro Rodeo Finals were last weekend here in Dodge, and I forgot to count up and see how many rodeos he went to, but he was able, they take the top 12 in each event to the, to the finals. And he was able to go on the ranch Bronx again and one, what he split fourth in the first round and broke his ribs getting off of his horse. And the second round, he didn't, didn't have that good of a horse. So he didn't, he wasn't in the money. And I think he was just out of the money again on the, on the third round, but ended up getting a piece of the average check. And that helped him get to second place in the year end standing. So he brought home the reserve champion buckle for the year end. Well, Hey Spence, congratulations, buddy. We're proud of you. How's the ribs? Well, I don't know if they were actually broke until he went to the chiropractor and had him manipulate because there was one out in the back and, yeah. So, <laughs> the him and the chiropractor both heard it pop. <laughs> okay. That just makes me retroactively hurl in, in his yeah. place. Oh, bless his heart. Yeah. Oh, well, he's been sleeping in the chair because he can't get out of our bed <laughs> because it hurts too bad. And this is the second time he's broke his ribs this year. So, oh, yikes. Well, Tell him we're proud of him and tell him that we hope he heals quickly. And I bet the boys are pretty tickled about that, that buckle, huh? Yeah, they thought it was kind of cool. <laughs> Do you think one of them will follow in his footsteps and, and want to ride? I don't know. They're pretty, pretty indifferent to it. I mean, it's normal for them to see dad ride and, and do this stuff and, I don't know that either one of them have any inkling to do it themselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I tell you what, we had a, an interesting weekend around here. Um, Garrett and I, we went to Wimmy Diddle, um, the big old craft fair up in Scott City. Look, it was outside and I just wanted a nice sense of normalcy. And even though, um, you know, we've got COVID going on, People actually, you know, people wore masks, um, even though they were outside, you know, but people kind of spread out a little bit and, and there were just about as many um, booths as there were the previous years. It was, it was actually a nice little slice of normal, Kayleen. Did they have the booths spread out or were they about the same? 
Well, they were about the same, um, but people just naturally stopped congregating. And, you know, you saw if there was a lot of people in one area, you're just like, you know what, I'll come back to those booths. I'll swing back around. I'll, I'll look at those yeah. later. Um, I ended up finding some really nice, nice things that I'm going to add to the office here and my office back home. And um, afterwards, uh, the fella and I, we went into town and did a little bit of shopping We've, we're working on my basement bathroom, slowly but surely, home remodeling projects. So that was one thing that we looked at. And then we went and had lunch and uh, I got to watch my K-State Wildcats oh, come from behind and, and uh, <laughs> beat OU by three points, but still three points is three points. So um, I cheer for anybody that beats OU. <laughs> tell you what. You know, it was kind of nice not hearing Boomer Sooner all the time. I know. I hate that song. <laughs> I think we all do. I think we all do. <laughs> well, hey, it is almost October. Actually, it's October 1 as, we, um, as we're recording this. And October means it's National 4-H Month. And if anybody listening to this is a 4-H parent or a 4-H'er, you know that October is also record book season. <laughs> so Kayleen, how'd it, how'd it go with the record books this year? Well, our record books are actually due today, October 1 at 4 o'clock, and I interviewed Sean for his stuff that he needed to do, and his handwriting is atrocious, and I don't trust him on my computer, so I handwrote all his and um, finished all his stuff about 12.30 last night. <laughs> <laughs> now, folks... Record books have changed since you and I were in, in, in uh, 4-H. Now you can submit them digitally. You can email your record books. And I am so jealous, Kayleen. So, <laughs> so very jealous. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a lot of work on the back end to be able to do them <laughs> digitally. And I had to, my phone, I had to reset. And so I lost some pictures and I had to go back and dig out some pictures from his project stuff and didn't find that I took any of him baking his foods for the fair. So <laughs> those pictures yeah. are kind of slim. <laughs> Did we have to pose some pictures? Cause you know, no. Mama Latsky had to pose quite a few pictures of me in my outfits and things <laughs> from time to time. <laughs> well, the time I realized that he was already in bed. So <laughs> I just used the picture from the, uh, our county's Facebook page and, and pilfered it and put it on his stuff. <laughs> hey, I was one of those kids that was always typing my, um, my record books up on mom's, you know, manual typewriter or electronic typewriter um, up until about 1230 the night before. So I, I get it. I totally get it. Um, nobody likes doing record books, but I tell you what, uh, that is a skill that is going to stick with them. And if, if 4-H does anything, it teaches us life skills. That's the whole point of it. Yeah. Um, you know, what we're, we're going into national 4-H month. And one of the questions I like to ask people is, okay, if you were a past 4-H'er, what's one thing that you learned in 4-H, a skill from your project areas that you still use today? So like for me, I still crochet. It's one of my favorite hobbies to do, and I still like being crafty that way. And I think um, 4-H actually expanded my, my artistic chops a little bit just because I was 
um, competing in those programs. How about you, Kayleen? Well, mine wasn't necessarily a project, but it was 4-H. I was on the livestock judging team, so obviously that taught me to, you know, place a class of, of livestock and be able to defend why I placed it that way in reasons. And, you know, I probably gave a million sets of reasons in the, the years that I was in 4-H. I didn't start till I was 13, so it's, I don't have as much as some other, other kids do, but, you know, that allowed me to be able to go into college and speak my mind and do what I needed to do in, in the classroom there. And I don't know that it made me necessarily a better human being, but <laughs> I can articulate myself better. <laughs> no, but that is the key thing. I mean, when you start looking at what are the skills that you want in an, in an employee, you want somebody that can speak their mind and form coherent sentences and communicate you know, their thoughts and their goals to the, the team that they're working with or to the outside um, audience. You know, think and, about all the stuff that we do every day from the podcast to going out and getting stories, cold calls for interviews. Yeah. That directly is from 4-H. How many times did we have to do a cold call when we were eight years old to say, hi, thank you for buying my steer. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. is terrifying for an eight-year-old. Well, terrifying. And also being able to get along with other people. You know, on the judging team, there was kids from all over the state of Kansas and everybody's different. And even in the own, in your own county, you have to learn to get along with the different kids and the different families that you're involved with. So it, it teaches kids that too. You build coalitions. Well, hey, I'm glad that, uh, that your boys are going through the program. And I know that you are running on short on sleep, but <laughs> it's good for the family. So it'll, it'll pay off. I promise. There's a return on the investment, Kayleen. <laughs> His dad may not think that, but <laughs> I know what I got from it and I hope he can get more than I got from it. There you go. So how are you folks doing out there? Drop us a line at hpjtalk at hpj.com and let us know or call us at 1-800-452-7171. Hey, and do us a favor and head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and go ahead and leave us a review. In this week's episode, we'll bring you the stories you might have missed in the September 28th print edition. And I'll bring us the latest on the grain markets and we'll have some final thoughts. Alta Seeds brings you this week's episode. Alta debuted its new iGrowth sorghum line to the U.S. market in the first ever Sorghum Frontiers virtual field day. iGrowth is the world's first non-GMO herbicide-tolerant sorghum that's commercially available in the U.S. market, enabling pre- or post-emergent weed control. Be sure to register for the second Sorghum Frontiers Virtual Field Day that will further showcase iGrowth at www.hpj.com slash Sorghum Frontiers. Learn more about this new trait and the company that's bringing it to your farm. Well, hey folks, we hope that uh, if you are working diligently on 4-H record books that uh, your coffee is strong and your patience is even stronger. And we want to thank you for riding with us here on HPJ Talk.
This week's cover story is by Kayleen. Groups work to keep soybeans in front of international buyers. Even though they couldn't meet in person this year, members of the U.S. Soy Global Trade Exchange and Specialty Grains Conference still managed to accomplish what organizers set forth. A thousand attendees from nearly 70 countries met virtually for the conference, all in the hope of sustaining and enhancing relationships between the United States soy value chain and international customers. Co-hosted by the U.S. Soybean Export Council and the Specialty Soya and Grains Alliance, organizers hope they could be able to address soy's continued resilience during this trade uncertainty, all while seeking new market opportunities. Jim Sutter, CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council, said GTE is an important part of the USSEC's efforts to show how American soybean farmers are committed to providing a high-quality crop and serving as a consistent supplier to partners around the globe. He says the goal of the GTE is to give our entire soybean value chain from farmer to exporter to importer the opportunity to connect with each other to create new business relationships and further demand for U.S. soy. Kayleen, I know that, that the key thing is virtual here, but over a thousand people joined this thing um, to learn about opportunities for soy abroad. That had to be um, tremendously uh, awesome for the organizers, but you know, what were some other things that the organizers said about this whole event? These international um, encounters that these groups have are usually face-to-face, -face, and they pride themselves in being able to go to these countries, travel to these different places and meet the people and kind of immerse themselves in the situations of these different countries and the food, their food needs and where the, where U.S. soy fits in. And they didn't have that this year. And they, they tried their best to do, to do it virtually. They had networking rooms within the virtual event. They had different meetings set up during the, the event. And so they tried their best to get, everybody included and discuss what they needed to discuss. And it seemed like everybody was pleased. I bet it was a lot of work on the back end too. <laughs> uh, I, can, I can guarantee it was a lot of work on the back end. I mean, for a thousand people to attend something virtually, that's, that's insane. But you know what? I think um, a lot of our export partners may be a little bit more comfortable with the technology that's available out there for these type of events than we in America are. And it's one of those things, that's a skill that we just need to get caught up on. We yeah, need to understand that that's the way that the world is going for making some of these relationships. And while face-to-face -face is always crucial, right? Yeah. You need to have that face-to-face -face interaction so you can look somebody in the eye and you can make those, those you know, agreements. I tell you what, being able to connect um, at the, the click of a button that's going to be incredibly important for our people too, for our farmers too. Yeah, so. absolutely. Lacey Newland had a story on the inside. Coronavirus food assistance program will include all classes of wheat. President Donald Trump and U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue announced September 17th that the USDA will implement an extension of the CFAP program. And the original CFAP only covered assistance to hard red or hard red spring and Durham wheat farmers, which left many growers without coverage. As part of CFAP 2, officials have announced an additional 14 billion for agricultural producers who continue to face market disruptions and associated costs because of COVID-19, including growers of all classes of wheat. 
Purdue said America's agriculture communities are resilient, but still face many challenges due to the COVID-19 pandemic. In early September, U.S. Representative Frank Lucas, an Oklahoma Republican, sent a letter to Purdue urging that all wheat classes be eligible for CFAP. The bipartisan letter was led by Lucas and signed by 25 other members of the U.S. House of Representatives. Quote, America's wheat growers are resilient, but many still face unprecedented challenges through no fault of their own, Lucas said. The coronavirus pandemic has weakened market positions across all commodities throughout the nation, and whether you're a wheat farmer who wrapped up harvest in May or those looking ahead to harvest in the coming weeks, CFAP2 will help those weather the uncertainties of the pandemic. I tell you what, Kayleen, that CFAP2 needed to have all classes of wheat accounted for. You know, wheat is not like corn. There are, you know, multiple classes of wheat that are used in different functions um, throughout the food and feed system. And um, to not be fair to all classes was just not the right thing. So I'm glad that they got that figured out for the second round of CFAP funds, right? Yeah, when I spoke with the FSA administrator, Richard Fordyce, he said the same thing. There's a lot of those crops that are specialty crops. They just don't have the acreage coverage as, as the bigger crops. And they were able to include them in the second round. And his example was like buckwheat. There's not a lot of acres of buckwheat, but yet these producers are still suffering losses in, in their markets. So hopefully this, this gets everybody covered and we can all move along. <laughs> good, 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 good. On the Opinions and Editorials page, editor Dave Bergmeier has a column this week, COVID-19's Lingering Impact on Ag. And a letter to the editor comes from Bruce Schultz, Vice President of the National Farmers Organization from Rainsford, Montana, titled USDA Welcomes Input on RFID, Reader Says. Our contributor David Murray has a few stories again this week. Ag officials tout phase one progress and pork producers plead for compensation and inspection funds. Kayleen has a couple of stories, including Grower Took Unconventional Path Advocates High Oleic Soybeans and Cow Size Not One Size Fits All. The soybean story features Belinda Burrier, who was on the podcast a few weeks ago, and the second story is Dustin Aaron's session from our Cattle U about how cow size relates to profitability. And folks, if you missed our Cattle U sessions live, you can always check them out online at cattleu.net. Read more on the variety of ag issues facing farmers and ranchers in the print High Plains Journal or look for it online anytime at www.hpj.com. And remember, if you have a response to something you've read or heard, please write to us at journal at hpj.com or hpjtalk at hpj.com. We want to hear from you. Your grain market prices from Dodd City's Pride Egg Resources on September 22nd, corn was up at $3.74, wheat was up at $4.62, milo was up at $4.19, and soybeans were up at $9.15. If you'd like to have crop or livestock targeted news emailed directly to you, sign up for our HPJ Direct email newsletters on our website, www.hpj.com slash signup. Simply select the topics that interest you and you'll receive updates on them directly to your email. Be sure to watch for our Ag Solutions issue of High Plains Journal in your mailboxes October 5th. 
with a story from Dave Bergmeier. And you can look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com. Thanks again to Alta Seeds for sponsoring this week's episode. Alta debuted its new eye growth sorghum line July 8th in the first ever Sorghum Frontiers Virtual Field Day. iGrowth is the world's first non-GMO herbicide-tolerant sorghum that's commercially available in the U.S. market, enabling pre- or post-emergent weed control. Be sure to sign up to catch the second installment of Sorghum Frontiers at hpj.com slash sorghumfrontiers to learn more about this new trait and the company that's bringing it to your farm. Remember, you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com slash podcast. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at HPJ Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Thanks again, folks, for riding along with us as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember, as Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. Dirt road in a gooseneck, saddle up with me. Dry land in God's country, crops far as I can see. The headlights on both ends of my heat.